Welcome to another inspirational message from Gateway North Church based out of Winnipeg, Canada. Your Sunday sermon, any day of the week. It is for centuries, Christians around the globe, they have used the four weeks leading up to Christmas and have prepared themselves to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so throughout scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, God promised, and that's the word, the advent, the coming of his son Jesus into this world. And if you didn't know that, this is probably one of the most important events in all of human history. That is, that the Almighty God, eternal God, the creator of all the universe, would become human. He would come into this world and he would live among us. And then he would suffer a gruesome death on the cross so that you and I would have eternal life with him in all eternity. Now, knowing that we're kind of celebrating our first Advent on this day, Throughout scriptures, as I said before, they spoke about the advent of the coming of the Messiah, the one that would redeem the world, that would redeem the people of God from slavery and then would set them free so that they would become a family. And one crucial and a very vital component that we find in scriptures that would kind of point to this advent, the coming of the Son of God, is the theme of hope. Hope. So hope can be described as looking forward to something, looking forward with anticipation for something that is about to happen. So whenever children around Christmas time during the Advent season, or even any one of us as adults. When we are hoping for something to happen, it could emotionally be expressed as becoming giddy. Right? You are excited. There's something that is going to happen. And simply said, in other words, you would say, they're becoming hopeful. Something will come their way. So we could say that hope is a state of anticipation. And if it wouldn't be for hope, we know that many of us who struggle with illnesses, we we suffer under the lack of hope, hoping that one day it would become better. And very often we are in that place of waiting, anticipating something to change. Something has to change. And if human beings wouldn't have hope, they die. They die. So the people of the Old Testament were very familiar with two words that I'm going to introduce you today, this morning, in the Hebrew language. It's the word yakal and kava. Is that on the screen there? Can you say kava? Kava and yakal. Yakal. (laughs) 
These are two words used in the Old Testament, very often in the Hebrew language, and they would, it would refer to, there is no way anything that will ever change unless you had kava o yakal. So you chose to win things, couldn't change, wouldn't change, and you desire something, anticipating something will change, it has to change, you would say yakal, yakal in God. So kavam comes from a very ancient Hebrew word and actually refers to the word cord or a rope. The word, the word kava has a root meaning of rope. So the word kava has to do with the tension or the anticipation of something to happen. So you're holding on to a rope. And the rope is becoming really tense because you're hoping something will happen. And as you hold on to that rope, suddenly the tension is so huge that you release it and you let it go. And then you lost kava. So as long as you were holding on to that rope, you hope that something will change. So yakal and kava appear about 40 times in the Psalms. And every time that the words that are used in the Psalms, it would refer for a people of God waiting. Kava. Waiting for God to show up. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open up in Psalm 130. And we're going to be looking at this Psalm this morning. This really is a specific psalm referring to these two words, kava and yakal, waiting and hope. So Psalm 130 verse 1, it reads the following. Out of the depths, I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And if you, O Lord, should Mark iniquities, and we'll talk about that. Oh, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. And here comes the first time. I wait, kava, for the Lord. And my soul waits, kava. And in his word, I hope, yakal. And my soul waits, kava, for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope, yakal, in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the Advent season. It's the season of waiting. It's the season of expecting something needs to change. Something has to change. And it's in this season, while we are waiting, there's feelings of confusion. There's a lot of emotions attached to this season of waiting. And it is complicated. So let me explain it. On the one hand... If you would consider yourself this morning to be a religious person, I'm not just saying just a religious person, um, there is a fear of admitting that for a religious person that there is a lack of anxiety, of hopelessness. 
uh, religion usually will teach us to do something in order to get something. So performance and achievements are really important in a religious mindset. So we do something in hope that something could change. But we were taught, and I would say I was taught, as being raised up in a Christian home, that we should not show fear of anxiety or admit that we need help. For that would indicate that you are a person of little faith. So that's religion. Religion will teach you, you need to show that you have faith, but really in what? We were taught not to admit display or any kind of feelings of weakness um, because that would mean that I didn't trust God sufficiently enough. That's religion. So do you know why at times our hearts are broken under anticipation and it's not happening? Is because we believe that we need to generate hope ourselves. So if I do this, then this will happen. That's achievement. So that's, kind of, that's the kind of hope we would grow up. But very often, I, would grow, I grew up in a place where there were a lot of successful people around me. And then I always thought, like, I could never be like them. I don't have the privileged position, socially speaking, in the status of life. I don't have that. But I desired that to have. But I didn't. So I don't qualify what they have. Or sometimes we sit around people or we work with people or we will live with neighbors who seemingly have everything figured out. And you are the only one who is lost in brokenness and hopelessness and nothing is changing. And you say, so why do they have all of that? And seemingly their lives is so well put together. But look at me. Or we are overcome with a sense of brokenness and unworthiness. And we would say, why would God even look upon me? Why does he care even about my life? Not even that. We, you could say... I have nothing to offer. I'm broken. I'm useless. I have no sense of value. I'm not like that person. So if that is you this morning and you feel like, like who am I anyway? What do I have to contribute in this season of waiting? Psalm 130 gives us a picture of those mixed and complicated feelings of shame and guilt, of unworthiness and that David the psalmist reaches out to us this morning and he has to offer a couple things that I want to share with you this morning. So we're talking about yakal, kava, a rope. So let's talk about the first thing this morning. In the Psalm 130 verses 1 and 2, it describes the sinkhole. So we'll talk about the sinkhole. Verse 1 and 2, it says again, I, I, out of the depth I cry to you. That is to say, out of that sinkhole, I cry to you, O God. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Notice that there's a vivid image here. And that has to do with someone who is sinking in despair. I'm suffering so deeply. <laughs> Have you ever been in those places? Are you in that place? I'm suffering so deeply. Who really cares about what I'm going through? What is going on? He's talking about how it feels like to be in a quicksand. 
I feel like I'm in a mud sinkhole. I'm going down. I'm kicking my legs. I'm grabbing on. And there's nothing to even to grab onto. I'm in a bottomless hole. And the more I kick, the more I grab. And the more I struggle. And the faster I'm sinking, I'm going to die. I'm right up to my neck. I can't anymore. Do you know what that feeling is? feels like? What is he sinking in? What is he talking about? What, is the, what kind of sinkhole is he talking about? He's sinking into quicksand called guilt and shame. That's the sinkhole that he's falling, falling into. Shame and guilt. How do we know that? Notice in verse 2. Generally speaking, when you're going down into despair, into hopelessness, you don't cry out for mercy. You cry out for help. Help, get me out of here. I need help. But that's not what David says. He says, be attentive to the voice of my pleas of mercy. If, in verse 3, he says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you would be the kind of God who would mark all the things that I have done wrong, O Lord, who could stand? Who am I? He's talking about a sense of failure, a sense of unworthiness, a sense of self-blame. And he feels like I'm just sinking in my own mess of life, in my own iniquities. And and plenty of people would say, you know, that's how I grew up. People always pointed out to all the failures, to all the shortcuts that I have in my life. People always looked at me to say, yeah, like <laughs> people like you, who, like what's, this world needs more other people than you. But you see, we have created a world of morality and religion. And we rather, instead of helping people who are sinking into this sh- hole of shame and guilt, um, we just let them hang there, dangle. But you know what is worse? Is that we're, we're living in a generation of self-help and self-sufficiency. And we decide what is right and what's wrong. So don't, don't let anyone actually put you onto a guilt trip. So we would say, don't let the parents tell you that you're doing something wrong. Don't allow your friends to tell you that you're going off the wrong path. Don't, don't allow your teacher to tell you, or even the pastor to even preach at you and to put more guilt and shame on you. Create your own morality. Create what is right and wrong for you. That's religion. And so we have decided to be our own God. We decide what is right and what is wrong. And we decide our own destiny, how we want to live our lives. Someone will say, there's nothing, there's nothing in this world that I feel that I have done wrong. I'm good. Why would I need God? Why would I even need someone in my life? And so the sinkhole that we are falling into is called self-help or self-sufficiency. That's the sinkhole that David is talking about. Self-sufficiency. So let's talk about the rope. If you are in a sinkhole, you need a rope. Or not? <laughs> you need a rope. Come on, we do need a rope. 
We're in the sinkhole. We're, or do you ask your buddy friend, your spouse, your child, your neighbor, your church to jump with you into that hole and have a pity party? Is that what you do? Come help me. I must be the only one who's sinking in this hole. Please come and help me. And everyone jumps into the hole. Is that going to help? No. You just simply say, throw me the rope and get me out of here. Get me out of here. So there are two things that scripture tells us that we have to grab onto. Number one, you need a standard and you need a new redeemer. So let me talk about the new standard. In verse 3 and 4, if you go back into Psalm 130, and he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. That is to say, God, if you would keep tap of all the things that I have done wrong, then who could stand even to ask for the rope? But that's, it almost feels like David says, God, if that's the kind of God I have, a God who judges me for all the things that I have ever done wrong, thought wrong, then who could stand in your presence? But he says, but with you there is what? Forgiveness. Praise God that there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. The psalmist is not denying the fact that he is, that there is a record of life. He doesn't deny that, that there is a possibility that there is something being recorded about my life that God, the eternal God, would know about me. But the language that he uses here is the language of God has an objective standard. In him, there is a right and a wrong. He understood that. And that, that the brokenness and the feeling of insufficiency that I need a rope to get out of here, he says, I want to present to you who is the one who is on the other side of that rope right now. But you see, before we get to that point of finding that God is really on the other end of that rope, we go on to this kind of this journey of self-blame and blaming others. We blame our parents for our bringing. We blame our friends for mistreating us. We blame society for not giving us what we are looking for. We blame the government because it's not good enough. We blame our boss. We blame the pastor. We blame the church. We blame the leaders. We blame people. That's what we do. So when you deal with lust, or you have committed adultery, or you go to pornography, you say, well, I just needed it. I needed some, something to satisfy me and to fill me right now. So that's where I go. What do you believe that God sees in that moment when we blame and when we're looking for others to satisfy us, to help us to get out of that hole? In God's eyes, God knows that there is sin. And you would say God knows everything about what I have done wrong and he will hold it accountable to me for everything that I have done wrong. No, that's not what David says. There is a sin and it's the sin that he refers to is the sin of unbelief to believe that God is big enough to get you out of that sinkhole that you find yourself is the sin of unbelief. It's not the sin that you think, oh, it must be lust. It must be just kind of like, I'm not the right kind of people, God, the right person. No, it's the sin of unbelief that God could actually be on the other side of the rope to get you out of that place where you find yourself. 
And so the first part of the rope is to, to recognize that there is a standard with God, but that God can actually supply and give you what you are looking for. And that is the second part of the rope is that you need a new redeemer. That is what you need. So in verse 7 and 8, he says, O Israel, hope, kava in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. <laughs> now, why would he be telling us to hope in the Lord? Why would he say he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities? Here it is. When someone is sinking in despair or sinking in unworthiness, and we say to that person, ah, we love you. We, we know that the person is sinking in a hole, but then we just come say, ah, just be encouraged. We love you. God loves you. And that there's anything that you have done wrong, don't be ashamed. Don't worry about it. God is forgiving. God is so good. But the person says, thank you for that encouragement. The fact is that it doesn't change how I feel right now because I'm sinking. You hear what I'm saying? We can tell people, you know, you're okay, you're okay, you should be fine. But that doesn't change the way you feel about yourself. Why? Because within us, there is this little word hope that is stuck in a moment. And we know that within our own hearts, that if we continue to just use self-help and self-sufficiency in order to get out of that sinkhole... It's not going to help because we've done it so many times and we can't go back to it. So hope has to change. You see, hope is not simply just hoping to wish or desire that something is going to change. Hope is not optimism. Hope is not positive thinking. If I just think a little bit better about myself, I will get out of my sinkhole. What is it that I need? I need a new redeemer. I need a living hope. And that only living hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the living hope that we're talking about. So 1 Peter in chapter, three, verse, chapter 1 verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, living hope in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, is what we need. Can I ask you, what is it that you look to as your Redeemer? Who have you looked at for giving you hope? So let's talk about the last bit of this, this morning. Let's talk about the climb out. If you're in a sinkhole, you need a rope, but you need to get out. So let's talk about the climb out. And this is a process. And I want you to know a couple things about what, it, what David says about getting out of that hole. Verses 5 and 6. So I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. Kava in his word. I hope. Yakal. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman morning. More than watchman for the morning. Look carefully what he says. And I'm going to point out quickly four things about climbing out of that hole. It is a process. 
And if you thought that you, just quickly you're going to get out of your places of despair and brokenness, I want you to know this is going to be a process. So often we believe that hope will redeem us and set us free from our despair immediately. But you need to know it's a process. I realize that even though I've been professing Christian for a long time, I still deal with guilt in my heart. I'm a guilt-driven person. So, so much of how I live my life, I'm motivated out of guilt. But praise be unto God that he has set me free of that guilt. But largely, I function out of that DNA of guilt. I don't do enough. I never have satisfied God in the ways that would honor him. So you're going to find yourself constantly tossing back and forth between the old nature and the new nature. And that's the battle that we find ourselves in. Very often, is that we're in this battle zone between what I used to be and where I want to go, but I'm not there. And so now I'm just going back and forth, back and forth, and I'm, not, I'm, lo- I'm losing hope. Nothing is changing. But I want you to know this morning, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, he says, put off your old self. Put it off which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Paul says it very clearly. Yes, I understand that you're in this process, but do not give up. If you're dealing with issues in your life that lead you to despair and hopelessness, that is coming out of the old nature that you lived in before. But now put that away. Work at that. Don't let that just come back to you every morning, even at night, and you have dreams and nightmares, and you have to, in the name of Jesus, declare that you are now a son and a daughter of a living God in whom you have placed your hope. It's not your old nature that governs you. You are now in Christ, a new creation. And you declare that over your old nature that it will have no longer control. And you will get out of that place of despair and hopelessness. And in the name of Jesus, every day you wake up and you're going to say, I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creation. I'm made new. And I do not live according to the old self that I used to have in me. I'm new. But then comes the second part to that waiting. And that is you wait expectantly. You have to. If you hold on to that rope then you have to also expect something's going to change. My soul, David says, waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. My soul waits. So we don't give up. That's the living hope because Christ is in us. Christ lives now in us and through us. And now I can actually get, get up in the morning and I know I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm a different person. I know in whom I trust. I know that my life is in in the hands of an eternal God who said, wait on me for I will rescue you. I will. But here's something beautiful that's going to happen this morning. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. And we do that together as a church, as a family, as God's redeemed children. We celebrate that this Redeemer that we have, who has set us free and who is giving us a living hope, that we know with certainty that He is on the other end of the rope. He is on the other end of the rope. And we do this, and here's the third part of that waiting. We wait in community. We wait in community. 
In verse 7 in Psalm 130, he says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. What's going on? See, there's something beautiful that happens when hope is birthed within us, a living hope of Christ in us. We celebrate that together as a family, and we all are holding on to that rope together. And we encourage one another, and we're saying, don't let it go. Don't let it go. Hold on. Hold on. Christ is going before us. He has done it already. He has said on the cross, it is finished it's complete. The redemption plan is complete. And I'm on the other end of the rope. And I will get you out of this place of despair and hopelessness and unbelief. And I will pull you out together. Church, we are together on that rope. You are not alone. You're not an island on your own thinking I must be the only one who is suffering. I'm the only one who is living in despair. No, you're not those are lies that the devil puts into your heart. And you need to actually shake it off and to say, I'm together with the family. We're together as a family. We're going to get out of this. This waiting season is going to be good for us because we're going to make him our living hope. He is our hope. In him we trust. And then there's the last part of the waiting. And that is a, you wait fearfully. If our waiting would be simply so that I just can get out of the places of uncomfortableness, then that would be just very self-thinking for myself. But it is for the purpose that we would establish a community, a family that is bold enough to come before the eternal God and would say, we're not here for ourselves if Christ who came, who is the eternal God here on earth, he came to die for us, then there is a whole bunch of other people around us who yet have to find the same hope. And when we start waiting fearfully before the eternal God, we take on his nature in us. And we live fearfully before the eternal God. And we become active members of redemption in a world that is living in despair and hopelessness. And we need communities. We need churches. We need families who bind together, who come together and says, we're going to make it through. Not for the sake so that we can feel good about ourselves and land in the land of the promised land. No, so that others would come along and would also find the hope that we have found in him. But I want to finish this morning by saying, David knows very well, if this eternal God would mark my iniquities and he would write it down, but he knew that he just said that. But then he says, then who could stand before him? But he says, but before him, there is plentiful redemption. Plentiful. That is to say, there is a river of forgiveness flowing. There is a river of blessing, of anointing that is coming. And he says, there is so much, you won't be able to contain it. And he says, wake up, church. You are so rich. You are so blessed. You are so blessed. Rise up to the challenge to know that the kind of God that we're hoping in, he has plentiful of redemption and forgiveness. So who am I that I would not forgive? Who am I that I would withhold God's blessing upon his church? There's plentiful, more than enough. 
And you are part of that story now. And we're going to move into places where we have never seen and been before because we have a living hope and an eternal God who says, in my presence there is plentiful forgiveness. I will forgive you. I will bless you. I want to anoint you. I want you to know that there is going to be healing. There's going to be revival. My Holy Spirit will come over you like a flood of fresh water. Will flood your soul and will know that it's only one in whom we can trust. And that is in the living God who is on the other side of the rope. Let me just say this in John chapter 3, and we're going to go into communion this morning because we need to do this together as a family. Uh, John says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Thank you, Lord. But in order that the world might be saved through him. And if, if this morning, and I have a couple questions here, and, as, and upon reflection, and then we're going to go into communion. Ask yourself this morning, to what degree am I sinking? To what degree am I sinking? Are you sinking financially? Are you sinking in broken relationship? Are you sinking in, in a terminal cancer and illnesses? Are you sinking in, in uncertainty and broken promises? To what degree? Where are you in that hole? Where are you? But then ask yourself the second question. To what degree do I need to change who my Redeemer is? (laughs) What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the person to come and say sorry to you? Are you waiting for your spouse to change? (laughs) Is that who the Redeemer is in your life? Are you waiting for any addictions to be overcome and, and then you will give your life to Jesus? Who's your Redeemer? Who's your savior? And then the last one is, who's on the other end of the rope this morning? Who's on the other end of that rope? Thank you for tuning in to the Gateway North podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from God's word. To find out more about Gateway Church, head to gatewaywinnipeg.com.